0: This is Upstate's Health Link on Air. Linda Cohen along with you. The World Health Organization recently declared the Zika virus and its suspected link to birth defects an international public health emergency, a move that signals the seriousness of the outbreak and gives countries new tools to fight it. Here with more on all of this and the risk it poses to the U.S. is Dr. Timothy Endy, professor of medicine, microbiology, and immunology, and the division chief of infectious disease at Upstate Medical University. Welcome, Dr. Endy. Thanks for coming in.
1: Good morning. Thank you for inviting me.
0: Let's first begin by explaining what is the Zika virus.
1: Well, Zika virus, um, uh, as it states, is a virus, Um, so it's a very small replicating virus. um, piece of material that is, uh, can be spread in a variety of ways but Zika virus in particular was um, our first isolated in 1947 and was isolated uh, in Uganda uh, outside of Entebbe in the Zika forest and that's how it's got its name Zika virus and it was done um, uh, through the Rockefeller Institute's um, surveillance program for yellow fever and they isolated uh, the virus from a febrile monkey Uh, That was part of that surveillance program. And they did some characterization. They realized that the virus was very different from yellow fever, uh, different from dengue viruses, which were endemic there. And so it it earned its own name. So Zika virus is a RNA virus. So it uses uh, uh, RNA as a genetic code, and it's very similar.
0: That's genetic material RNA. Exactly.
1: Very similar to dengue virus, West Nile virus, Japanese encephalitis virus. Um, So it's in this whole family of what they call the flaviviruses.
0: So was there a concern back in '47 if it were found in a monkey, was there a concern that it would affect humans back then?
1: Well, the history is, is, to me is fascinating, and you have to go back to the the original publications. But like any new virus, I'm sure the investigators and Dr. Dick at that time isolated the virus, was very excited to discover a brand-new virus. But the next question is, you know, what does it mean? There's a lot of viruses out there that don't affect humans. So the first thing that he did was he developed some diagnostic tests, and he looked around the population and says, well, do people have antibody to this virus? Is there evidence for Infection. infection? And he did. He found that there was what we call a seroprevalence. The percentage of people who have antibody to it was about 20%.
0: So that people had experienced this disease, whether or not they were even aware of it.
1: Exactly. But they really didn't find a clinical illness. So the next question was, well, are they actually developing some symptoms? And he found patients who had fever, muscle aches. Um, they were not dengue or yellow fever. And he found that it was from Zika virus. Probably the most interesting study, though, was done in the 1950s. And an investigator uh, in the in the tradition of really good medicine um, Injected himself with the Zika virus.
0: (laughs) We hear about that all through history of medicine. Yeah,
1: exactly. Just you know, it's uh, you know it's quite amazing that they can do that. But uh, he injected himself, and he developed fever, headache, uh, pain behind the eye, muscle aches. He was able to isolate the virus from his blood. He broke out into a rash, and then he got better. And that was the first clinical description of acute Zika infection.
0: So exactly. Well, first let's get to how it's transmitted because mm-hmm. i think that's a, a great concern to a lot of people mm-hmm. um there have been talks about i mean obviously it's mosquito born largely correct so explain how that works so if it's in a monkey population let's say it's is it that the mosquito bites the monkey and then he get the mosquito gets the virus and then the mosquito goes on and bites the human is that how it
1: works well that's how it works for zika virus and dengue virus um so there is a um, monkey, mosquito, back to monkey. So if we pretend we're looking out through the eyes of a female mosquito, which is the one that takes blood meals that's needed for the protein to to develop eggs and such, Uh, the female mosquito sees a monkey in a tree and goes and feeds it, takes a blood meal. If that monkey happened to have virus in his blood from Zika, then the mosquito will take that in and the virus starts replicating the mosquito and concentrates in the salivary glands. Then usually after 10 to 14 days, the mosquito is infected. Will then go on take another blood meal from a non-infected monkey and then transmit the virus to that so that's actually called what we call a sylvatic cycle monkey mosquito monkey now if man is there and he's chopping down a tree or he's collecting bananas the mosquito is not not very um, picky about the blood meals that it takes so it sees a human there takes a blood meal and it's infected it will then transmit it to a human the human goes home, and then it starts to cycle from mosquitoes to human back to mosquitoes. But
0: there also have been talks, I mean, there's been talk recently that this also can be transmitted human to human without the mosquito vector through sexual contact. Is there enough data to support this at this point?
1: That's, so that's one of the very unique fe- features of this Zika virus. So it's unlike its other cousins in the flavivirus family. Um, and having this ability to um, to spread sexually. There is a distant constant, and that's hepatitis C, which is in the flavivirus, that can be sexually transmitted. So that there seems to be some inherent characteristics about that. So Zika virus um, has been now established, I think, in about five cases where there's been documented um, male-to-female partner sexual transmission. And they've also discovered that the virus concentrates in the male semen so that it uh, allows uh, transmission during sexual intercourse is, is the current theory.
0: Do they have any idea though, I mean, let's get to what the disease itself, for the most part, doesn't pose a major threat to life. Is that correct?
1: That's entirely correct. So there have been historically at least three huge outbreaks before this current you know, outbreak in Brazil and, and South America. And uh, there have been no deaths you know, reported for Zika. Um, the majority of infections almost 50 percent or more are subclinical meaning they people never really know that they're infected or get sick or have a fever Um, very few just a handful were in the hospital with severe symptoms
0: but the major concern really has been this issue of microcephaly or basically a a reduction in the size of the skull or the head of, of developing fetus Correct. And then brain, all kinds of developmental problems and neurological problems following that.
1: Correct. So children who are, are born with severely um, diminished size of their head, microcephaly, uh, does occur in the United States. It occurs through the world, but it's a very rare occurrence. And um, it's, it's been reported for other viruses, classically like rubella uh, virus, uh, can give you microcephaly. Uh, cytomegalovirus, but hasn't been reported with these family of viruses. And so this makes it another unique feature of Zika virus, these reported increase, dramatic increase, a hundred fold increase of microcephaly uh, reported in Brazil.
0: If you're just joining us, you're listening to Upstate's HealthLink on Air. I'm Linda Cohen along with infectious disease specialist Dr. Timothy Endy, and we're talking about Zika virus. So that is the major concern, I guess, or the thing that's making people frightened. Mm -hmm. And clearly, this whole idea of sexual transmission plays another, puts another level of concern into it. Because some, I mean, obviously, it's hard to protect yourself against mosquitoes. But that is still more, you know, you you still have some methodology there. But this idea of how long the virus lasts in the blood, do we know that? In terms of, if someone were to be infected, let's say a male partner Mm -hmm. infected, goes through the disease process, and then later on has a sexual contact with a female partner, is it likely that that female partner could then receive the disease and harbor it, perhaps in a dormant stage until such time as she became pregnant?
1: Well, that's a very good question, and we don't know the exact answer. But we can speculate that this is a virus that's an acute infection, which means that there is a limit to the amount of reproduction. So it's unlike HIV, which is a chronic infection. Uh, So there is a limit. So we know that people who are acutely infected with uh, Zika virus, that the levels of virus in their blood usually last between seven to 10 days, and then disappears once the body kicks it out of the system. And then they've been able to document uh, Zika virus in urine and semen for about a month. Um, So it does resolve over time, so it doesn't represent a chronic risk. Uh, it represents a risk during the acute period of infection.
0: So there is a time limit to it. So what is the CDC recommending these days? I mean, what are you telling your patients, and what's the overall kind of, you know, the the current wisdom?
1: Well, first is education. So that the current outbreak, which was explosive in Brazil, is now affecting 10, 12 countries in South America. It has spread into the Caribbean. There are now, I guess, 100 and some odd cases in Puerto Rico. Uh, there's been a, a woman reported with microcephaly in Hawaii that had visited um, Brazil during the first trimester. There have been reported cases in travelers returning back to the United States, but no documented transmission within the United States. So the recommendations are for travelers uh, going to these um, heavy transmission areas to be careful um, to protect themselves by wearing um, insect repellents, which usually contain, you know, DEET containing. Uh, compounds that you can spray or, or rub on.
0: And these mosquitoes, I'm sorry to interrupt you, mm-hmm. are active during the day as well as night, am I correct?
1: Well, daytime mosquitoes. So the mosquito is an Aedes aegypti, mm-hmm. which are tropical, subtropical mosquito that's, that also spreads chikungunya, also spreads uh, dengue, um, and they are daytime feeders. So they like to, to live in the day and feed during the day, but they also like to shade. So you're at the beach, you're under an umbrella or a tree stand, you know, away from the sun, and that's where the mosquitoes like to feed on you. And that's really a good time to wear the uh, repellent or to cover yourself with some loose clothing to protect yourself from the bite of mosquito. So the recommendations are to protect yourself if you're traveling those areas. And there are special high-risk populations. So the CDC and the WHO are currently recommending if you're planning to become pregnant or are pregnant, Um, especially the high risk during your first trimester, is to avoid traveling to those areas that are uh, currently reporting outbreaks of Zika.
0: And there's a whole listing on the CDC website, I would think, of the countries you want to avoid. How about the the, the Olympics? There's been talk about people, again, Mm -hmm. what's the recommendation there?
1: So the big concern is um, the the Olympics is is a high density. Uh, Certainly Rio and parts of Brazil are highly endemic for Aedes aegypti and the Zika outbreak. And the CDC came out with a recommendation for any women who are planning to become pregnant or are pregnant to avoid traveling to the Olympics.
0: And that's irrespective of if, if you're pregnant, if you're, if, even if you're at the end of your pregnancy, mm-hmm. theoretically the baby, you know, there's, their um, their development is pretty well set at that point. Correct. But, but they, we don't know what the potential problems are. We don't know. There, are.
1: You know, there's a lot of studies going on. Our group is planning to try to uh, do some studies in Ecuador. Um, is trying to answer that question. But if it's like other viruses that produce a birth abnormalities, the first trimester is the highest risk.
0: So basically the bottom line at this point is, well, I know the Aegis Zadipti also exists in Florida that, and, and maybe other places in this country.
1: Louisiana, Texas, Southern California... All have Aedes aegypti. So
0: they could become so-called hot spots. Could theoretically. Be. Absolutely. And is that just a matter of time and a watchful waiting? I mean, is there any methodology that they could be or should be using at this point to decrease that likelihood?
1: I think uh, South Florida, especially Key West and now Fort Lauderdale, um, which has Aedes aegypti, is a good example. A traveler came from the Caribbean with a dengue infection, which is, a, as we stated, a, a cousin of Zika. Um, a mosquito, he went to the Key West, a mosquito uh, fed off of him and then it got into the population of mosquitoes. And so they've had dengue every year now, um, despite very aggressive spraying and um, killing off of um, mosquito eggs and such. So if, if that same patient was a Zika-carrying patient and went to South Florida, you could potentially see the same thing happen.
0: Is there some effort today, and I know you're working on a virus, uh, on a, a vaccine for dengue, mm-hmm. is there some effort today to do some kind of genetic modifications? I know I, I heard something, and, and we're going to run out of time, So, but to actually put mosquitoes out there that will prevent uh, proliferation?
1: Yeah, so I've been a consultant to some groups. Um, one uses um, what's called a Wolbachia infected mosquito, another one is a riddle mosquito, which is um, basically, can't really regenerate. So, it's like there's a sterilized, lot to yeah. sterilize. Exactly. So, uh, there's a lot of uh, potential plans out there for that.
0: And you yourself are working on a dengue vaccine. Is that coming along?
1: Well, yeah, we are developing a model to test dengue vaccines and um, also providing some consultation on a Zika vaccine as well.
0: Fabulous. Thank you so much for coming, and you're always a fount of information and wisdom. My guest has been Dr. Timothy Andes, Professor of Medicine, Microbiology, and Immunology, and the Division Chief of Infectious Disease at Upstate Medical University. I'm Linda Cohen, and you're listening to Upstate's HealthLink on Air.